Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 380 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. We're recording this on a Friday, and we're both in the office. So I was like, hey, we haven't done like a normal, just <laughs> boring intro we with haven't. just the two of us for a while, so I figured... Give it a try. Um, but there was some stuff we want to talk about. One, I figured, like, it's been a long time since you arrived. Be like, here's the books we're actually yeah. reading right now. So that we could do that. And then there's a cool uh, book club that kind of want to tell people about. Yep. So while I'm looking up the information for that, do you want to tell sure. people what you've been reading? And then they can go. Sure. So I recently finished. Okay. So Ev, if you listen to our September books episode, you know that uh, it's a big month for books. Huge. <clears throat> so I read The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. I actually really, really enjoyed it. I was super hesitant um, because I love The Handmaid's Tale and didn't know if I would actually like it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but I really did. That was Jill taking a sip of Sorry water, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed The Testaments and thought it was, like, everything I didn't know I needed. Um, I'm reading... Stephen King's The Institute right now. I started reading it while I was on vacation. Um, also very enjoyable. Uh, it is about a these kids who are um, either telepathic or telekinesis, you know, and um, they are basically like stolen out of their homes mm-hmm. and <laughs> sent to this weird school building warehouse thing in the middle of the woods somewhere in Maine. They think and <laughs> they think I mean, if, if any of the kids in the book have read a Stephen then, King book, it's probably right. me. And then like, so they're there and they're doing tests and they're having tests done on them. And then they disappear from there too. There's like the front section. And then after a certain number of tests or if something happens, but they don't know what they're like stolen and taken to the back. So, I mean, a lot of kids kidnapping things happening here. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> um, and I shouldn't, then I shouldn't be laughing. It's just the way you said it. Yeah, no, it's, yes. Um, so, so yeah, so that was my vacation read. I'm still reading it. I will say, though, that my copy of Wayward Son by Rainbow Rowell showed up this week. And um, I was at breakfast one day this week, and I was like, oh, man, I left my copy of Stephen King upstairs on my um, nightstand. So let's just start reading Wayward Son and see how it is. I made it three pages, and I was like, I'm not emotionally prepared for this. <laughs> she, <laughs> I am not emotionally prepared for Wayward Son. I mean, just, like, just... Just, like, the three pages I read. Yeah. Just the three pages that I read. I'm, like, crying now thinking about it. I'm, like, I can't handle this oh, right man. now. I'm not. This is not a good time for me to read this book. <laughs> well, um, I saw. So, I haven't I don't have a copy of it yet. But um, our friend Hikari from Folded Pages Distiller on Instagram, just the coolest Instagram account, she posted a story where she had, um, I think it might be the Barnes & Noble version of Wayward Son. And then she opened it up and took off, like, the the, um, the dust jacket yeah. and like the inside of it was it's gorgeous and you can reverse it it mm-hmm. was the coolest thing it might have been like it's a really special, special version yeah. I also might be getting this wrong and it might be from like a loot crate thing that she has also possible as but well. it was so cool and I was saying that too I was like oh this book's gonna destroy me it, I am I am not emotionally prepared for it <laughs> 
and it's again the three pages and i was like nope i'm i'm out she like right from the beginning she lays it on i was like okay we this is not the right time for that (laughs) it's all happening (laughs) oh man um so I read, uh, I'm just finishing uh, Serpent and Dove by Shelby Mahurin, I want to say. Uh, it's on the YA bestsellers list right now, it's, but it's really, really good. There's some witches and there's magic and there's, um, I fi- I'm finding that one of my like niche things that I enjoy is when there's uh, stuff that involves the church, but it's like, the ch- this is going to sound terrible, but like the church is the evil, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I'm with you. Exactly. Yeah, so this is like the the witches are kind of the good people, it seems. Okay. And so it's really, really good. And there's um, a forced uh, <laughs> enemies to lovers situation that sure. uh, is perfectly juicy and wonderful. <laughs> and um, there's just enough magic in it where like it doesn't feel like it's not like an over-the-top fantasy, but the way that uh, Shelby does the the magic there's two different ways there's these blood witches and then there's these like white witches and the the white witches do this thing where they like see these like golden tendrils like that connect them to other people and if they like they can only perform magic if they like have a connection to them and like you have to give something of yourself to do the magic so like if you want to take away their eyesight you need to like lose your own eyesight for a while it's really cool it's it's a really unique kind of take on magic which is always fun i feel like okay um what was the craft? I feel like there's this whole thing in the craft of the movie about not like if you do something to somebody else, it comes back to you. And yeah. Sort of, sort of like a, a twist on that, it sounds like. Yeah. Kind and of. It, it is really, really good. And it, it builds out to the way where like I was watching it or watching it. Jesus. I was reading it and I was like, how is this going to be? Because it's the first of a series. I'm like, how is this going to be a series? And like halfway through, you like are introduced to just like way more lore and stuff that's going go. on in it. And I'm like, oh, that's how they're going to do it. Um, along the same lines, are you watching American Horror Story right now? I have watched the first episode. I have the second one DVR, and I will watch it tonight. <laughs> yeah, this has nothing to do about books, but if you're a fan of like night, like the 1980s, like murdery, like slasher films, slasher films, it is so campy and cheesy. It's incredible. And speaking of like things happening really fast in American Horror Story, it's just like right now. Here's where the violence starts. <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, how are they going to make this a whole season? Oh, yeah. Have you ever watched... I mean, you've watched it before, right? Yeah. 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 That's usually how they are. Well, right? we're on the... We did... We watched the second episode last night. It it unfolded. Um, starts to kind of open up the idea of the story. But it was just like, wow, this is happening right now. Oh, yeah. So. I am I am so excited. Also, one, one of the reasons I'm excited is because there's an, the actress who plays, like, the nurse and... I think it's Angelica Ross. I don't have my thing in front of me. She was on Pose and was so good on Pose mm-hmm. um, and is not anymore. Um, so when I was like, oh, she's in this? Okay. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then unrelated to that, but to, about the books I'm reading, I'm, we talked about this before, but later in October, I'm available and you're not. So I'm hosting the Michael Conley right. um, event in in Northeast Ohio here at the Parma Snow branch of Cuyahoga County Public Library. So I've been reading Michael Conley books and I I will flat out say I had never read anything of his before because I was like, oh, it's probably just like that kind of standard, like I like to joke around like old older white guy like books my father would like. Um, no, the way that he writes these cop books are so, so good. So there's The Late Show and then I finished the, um, the second one of this series, Dark Sacred Night and the, the third one's coming out and they're just... It's so cool. I don't understand. I'm not like a, I don't like cop shows. I'm not super into mm-hmm. them, like CSI or anything like that. I'm like addicted to these books and I want to go back and read all the Harry Bosch books. So There you go. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Um, okay. Today's episode, 
the rest of the episode. It's kind of a shorter interview, so I wanted to just kind of have this part Wait. happen. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the whole reason I wanted us both to be in here. I have all the pages pulled up. Jesus. Okay. We'll get to the interview in just a second. So, a very cool thing is going on. Um, Overdrive is partnering with the American Library Association. We're collaborating on a, uh, a digital book club, kind of similar to Big Library Read, if you're familiar with everything we do here, um, but it is chiefly being done through the ALA. So it's the Libraries Transform book pick, and the book is After the Flood by Cassandra Montag. Montag? M-O-N-T-A-G. I'm sorry, Cassandra. I should have gotten your name right. But uh, the way that it's going to work is just like a Big Library Read. So from October 7th through October 21st, if you go to participating American libraries at Overdrive, and it's most of them. I think I saw like two or yeah. three libraries have opted out. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to be able to go to their <clears throat> their Overdrive site or go to Libby, and you can borrow After the Flood for those two weeks, uh, October 7th to the 21st. No wait list, no holds. Uh, it's going to be ebook only, and it's just going to be exactly kind of the same thing that we've been doing with Big Library, mm-hmm. where you can sort of hop online and, and join the conversation. I'm sure the ALA will be tweeting stuff out all about it so sure and it is the american library association but this is open to you uh u.s and canadian public libraries yes thank you you're absolutely right um so yeah it's really cool and the book is i think it just came out in I think so in september or like late august so it's a, it's a really new book so it's really cool that uh they were able to to get the book right away so that that'll be really cool i'm really excited um, and then there'll be another big library read right around the corner. So yes, there is. Um, but yeah, the you can go to Overdrive's social media um, or the ALAs. They they announced it. But yeah, October seventh, the twenty first, after the flood. Uh, very good book. I'm excited for everybody else. Okay, rest of this episode. Uh, I sat down with Nefertiti Austin, who wrote a book called Motherhood So White: A Memoir of Race, Gender, and Parenting in America. Super interesting conversation. Not something we would normally do. Kind of different. But uh, Nefertiti is a... She does writing. She does a lot of freelance writing and, and blogging and stuff. And basically, she's a African-American uh, woman who was talking about her journey of being kind of a, a mom by herself. And she's like, I was looking at all these parenting books, and none of them were by African-American women. It was all like kind of almost like middle-aged white women that were writing these books. And she realized that... She wanted to start this family, and she wanted to do it the way that she wanted to do it, and there was really no one around that could sort of offer her advice. So um, it's all about she has a lot of experience in the foster care system, um, and so she wanted to kind of tell her story mm-hmm. about you know raising uh, a black son completely on her own. So it's really, really interesting, and she has a lot. We talk a lot about like the adoption process and foster care and the um, negative connotations that kids get when they go through it. And, yeah, it was a super interesting conversation. So I think people will really, really like it. Yeah, I remember when um, our friend Margaret from Sourcebooks came and talked about this book. I was It sounded incredible, so I'm really excited. We got her on the podcast. Yeah, I was very, I was very, very excited. It was really cool. Um, so this was at the American Library Association. So as always, you'll hear some stuff in the background. It's not loud. You'll be able it to happens. hear us just fine. Yeah. So. Um, anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. Okay. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this wonderful conversation with Nefertiti Austin on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hey, 
everybody, it's Adam and I am hanging out at the American Library Association in Washington, D.C. I'm hanging out with Nefertiti Austin, who's an author uh, and a memoirist well known for her commentary on the extreme lack of diverse voices in the realm of motherhood. She's been shortlisted for several literary awards and has appeared in places like Huffington Post, Essence, and PBS. And her memoir, Motherhood So White, comes out this September. So first off, Nefertiti, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. And would you mind, we always like starting our uh, conversations by having the author kind of introduce our listeners to your book. So would you mind kind of giving us an intro to Motherhood So White? Okay, so Motherhood So White is essentially my sort of poke in the eye at publishing for the lack of black mom narratives. Mm -hmm. And in 2006, I was ready to be a mom, and it was very important to me to adopt. Mm -hmm. And I am such a book nerd. Yeah. I went to the library, and I looked for mom narratives about women who look like me, um, cultural representations of what it was going to be like to mm -hmm. adopt as a single black woman, how to handle my family, friends, that sort of thing. And I found every mother under the sun except myself. Yeah. I, that's such a good point, because... And I, I try not to be this way, but I know that I am because of the fact that I am a white male that I a lot of times don't even think about that situation. And then as soon as I learned about your book, I did the same thing. I started looking and I was like, oh my God, every mommy blogger, every mommy, they're all Caucasian yes. females. There are, there are a few. I mean, they're more now than, yeah. you know, 10 plus years ago, mm -hmm. of course. But I mean, the numbers are just crazy yeah. in terms of what's available and what's not available. And you have a uh, background in working with adoptions, correct? Yes. So you, so kind of maybe take us through like what you do that you, you knew about this and then maybe what your process was like for the adoption side of things. Okay, so my best friend is like my sister was adopted. Mm -hmm. And I knew that as we were kids, like it was never discussed. It, would just, it just was. Yeah. And my brother and I were raised by grandparents. So in some respect, we were kind of adopted. We call it black mm. adoption because it wasn't a formal adoption. Sure. And my best friend grew up to become an adoption social worker. So for years and years, I heard about these children. They need homes. And then I pretended to teach elementary school for like 15 minutes. Uh -huh. And a third of my class were filled with children in foster care. Mm -hmm. And my heart broke for these children. Yeah. And so it was just there. And when I was finally ready to adopt, I called Lori, and I'm like, okay, look, I'm ready. And so she pretty much kind of walked me through the process. But I, I chose public adoption. That was also important to me. There's 60,000 children in Los Angeles County who need homes. So there's yeah. no point in going overseas, not to mention it's outrageously expensive. Yeah. I did want to go private because, again, and right in my backyard, there are all these children mm -hmm. who needed homes. And so it was quite a process. There's an orientation and... So, can you kind of take us to the, the difference between public and private adoption? Because I don't know that a lot of people okay. really understand how wildly different. Oh, yes. Okay. Big difference. Yeah. Okay. So, public adoption, you would go through your local county. So, in my case, it was Los Angeles County. So, I went through an orientation. I had to take parenting classes. In those days, it was 33 hours of classes where we learned about the population of children. We learned about the birth parents. Mm -hmm. And we learned about, okay, so it, cultural needs of the children. Sure. And there were, let's see, we had to be fingerprinted and background checked. And I had to be CPR certified. And I had to pass a national background check and a county background check. I had to get letters of recs from friends. I had to get a medical clearance from the doctor. 
and I underwent two, they're not psych evaluations, but they're called home studies, but essentially, so why do you want to adopt? Tell us about your family. Yeah. What's your relationship like with your siblings? So it's incredibly intrusive, mm-hmm. and it's a very long process. Yeah. And so that's the public side. Mm-hmm. Private's a little different. You put together a dossier on yourself, you know, notebook, this is who we are, this is what we have to offer. And there are similar background texts, but that notebook that you compile about yourself goes to a mother mm-hmm. and who may be at an agency and she gets to choose. She gets to flip through essentially a catalog mm-hmm. and decide, okay, I choose this person. Yeah. And my cousin went private. Mm-hmm. So she made her choice and she was there when her son was born and then she had to wait. There's a waiting period. Yeah. And it's um, maybe 30 days, about, no, 21 days actually. And then after that, her adoption was final. Whereas mine, once my son was placed with me, mm-hmm. he, I was then technically a foster mother. Yeah. And then it took another like two years before the adoption was finalized. So. So public takes much longer. So I, I'm torn because on one hand, like I wish it wasn't so wildly difficult to adopt them, but I also like, I certainly appreciate all the background checks because they're trying to make yeah. sure that these children are going to the best possible homes. But yeah. I mean, do you think that they're? <laughs> this is a sorry. This is a very difficult question. But do you think there's a better way? for people to be able to go through this process? Because like you said, you were someone who knew, like, I want, not only do I want to provide a better life for a child, but I want it to be someone in my community, yes. and I want it to be an African-American child, yes. and they still made you go through two yeah. years of stuff. You know, the, the public foster care system is like running a public school system. So mm-hmm. it's huge, it's unwieldy, and depending on who's in charge, that's the flavor of the month, mm-hmm. or that's the flavor of the decade, or yeah. something like that. So we're all at the mercy of it. And I mean, it, it only costs, you know, maybe $125 to go the public route versus 12000 or 15000 to go private, or 20000 to do an international yeah. adoption. So in that respect, I kind of will take the drama and just ride it out. Yeah. Um, Social workers have too many children on their caseload. That's the biggest problem. One person should not have 40 cases. That's Mm -hmm. outrageous because they can't get to everyone, and that's part of the holdup. Right. So that's... So they really can't get to everyone, and even with all the checks and balances, I mean, you know, creeps creep through, and then, you know, of course, we hear about them Mm -hmm. in the news. So it's not a perfect system. It's not Mm -hmm. fail-safe. You know, it's pretty decent for what they have, but... We need more social workers, smaller caseloads, mm-hmm. and I think just more emphasis placed on these kids. Yeah, I honestly, I feel so strongly about this because like, this is my wife and I have discussing that we, as of right now, we don't want children, and okay. we're in our early 30s, and everyone always tells us, like, they, thankfully my family doesn't do this, but people do, they'll look at my wife, and she's in her early 30s, and like, well, you know, the clock's ticking, and we always just look at them, and we're like, that well, so rude. I, I know, well, yeah, it's insanely <laughs> rude. But we'll all, we tell them, like, if we ever want children, we want to adopt. And, like, to me, it's someone needs a home. I want to be able to provide that home. Like, why do you think people give adoption such a bad rap? It, it breaks my heart. Okay, honestly, I think the reason public adoption gets such a bad rap really deals with race. I mean, most of the foster parents tend to be lower middle class black women who are willing to do it. I mean, the middle class, even some of my 
friends and associates that I know who are middle class or upper middle class, they're worried that something's wrong with the kids because it's foster care. And so the children get a bad rap. And fair enough, some of them come to the world with challenges, but it's, it's nothing that a stable home can't fix. And if you have to get an intervention, if they present later kindergarten, third grade with ADHD or sensory issues, whatever, you get them help just yeah. as you would yourself. Right, yeah, that's... A- they become your they're your child at yes. that point yeah I something that you talk about in the book that I really love and it made and I thought about a lot is it's not just like the overt racism that black mothers encounter there's also this kind of like unconscious racism and can you kind of talk about that a little bit because I think it's that's so important to even for people who say like oh I'm I'm not racist I have lots of black friends yes. like that generic <laughs> sentence which sure. I'm sure you hear all the time I, uh, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Sure. It's so it's so important. Sure. Well, okay. So take foster care for instance. Mm-hmm. So the thinking is these children are subpar, and the people raising them are subpar mm-hmm. because they are foster parents. Yeah. And this is their job, and they're milking the system, which is so not true because you don't get enough money to do anything. Right. You can barely afford childcare with the stipend that you get. So that's mm-hmm. first. The second thing is, okay, Murphy Brown. I, I mentioned this in my book mm-hmm. because I was. 90s and I was like in my 20s uh-huh. and it wasn't a show that I necessarily watched but it caught my attention when this fictional character gets all of the support from white feminists mm-hmm. that yes she's strong yes she can have a baby on her own and we're going to support that and any woman can do what they want with their body mm-hmm. but black women have not been extended that same love yeah. and so it, we are still sort of navigating under this veil of black welfare queen single black mother and this is another child that's going to go out into the world and stick somebody up or Mm -hmm. wind up in prison he'll be or she will be a drain Mm -hmm. on the system and so I think that the whole feminist I mean my god the the first wave the second wave (laughs) really kind of broke down over race yeah and and which which team are you on who do you support Hey nerds, I want to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor of our episode, which is Literati Books. And we have been talking about Literati Books a little bit over the past couple episodes. Uh, It's such a cool subscription service. It's a subscription book club that makes it easy for you to find unique and interesting books for your kids. So every single month, Literati mails five teacher-approved books for your child right to you in in just a gorgeous box. Everything is all put together beautifully. It's a book club subscription that literally teachers buy for their own kids. So you don't have to worry about guessing or searching or reading the same books over and over again, which I know parents can absolutely appreciate. Uh, each literati box contains five age-appropriate books based on a theme. And some of those themes are like the spirit of adventure or the animal kingdom. It also includes exclusive original art and a personalized note to your child. Uh, so the way that this works is you pay only for the books that you're going to keep, but no matter what, whether you keep every single book in that box or you want to return all of them, you get to keep that artwork and the note for your child. Uh, it's, it's theirs to keep, and it's just the stuff that's in there is so, so cool. I, I talked 
last month about when I got to give my niece one of these boxes, and she got so excited to see all these stickers that had her name that she could put these book on her books and just to know that those are her books to keep, and she was so excited about it. And over the past week, we were apple picking, and uh, she actually looked at me, and she told me she couldn't wait for her next box to come. So there's nothing more rewarding than knowing that as an uncle, I got to give my uh, my little budding intelligent niece uh, something that was going to help her and literati books was absolutely that so for a limited time you can go to literatibooks.com and use promo code probooknerds for twenty dollars off your first box plus kids three and up get a special blacklight pen this is their best offer available anyway uh, anywhere and to get it all you have to do is go to literatibooks.com promo code probooknerds for twenty dollars off your first box that's literatibooks.com promo code probooknerds and now back to our episode with Nefertiti Austin I just I, I don't know I get it it's so infuriating to me I I don't understand because I do I have like I actually I grew up in a um, a community where as, as uh, a white person I was actually a minority it's a strongly uh, Latino community okay. we have, where the city I grew in is a small city called Lorraine and it has the largest population of Puerto Rican people in a city outside of Puerto Rico so to me like this was just when I went to then I ended up going to a, a predominantly white college just because of where it was and I remember being like shocked by the way that people reacted to people of color and I, it's so weird to me because it's just so foreign I was like I our friends were everybody, and I never heard this like unconscious, like hearing people say like, "Oh, well, they're doing so well." And I was like, "For what?" As a human being, and they'd be like, they kind of give that look like, "Well, you know." And I'm like, I, it's just something I want to ask you because you're a single mother. Yes. How did you have time to write this book? Okay, so I've been writing about race and gender and adoption since 2009 and so I had a lot of material Mm -hmm. when I started writing and I had a deadline so that's how I wrote it and Uh I had to do it when they were at school Uh and so I'm good for about four or five hours a day okay and um, and then sometimes at night I'll just go in the room and shut the door and write but I'm I'm good with deadlines Uh I was very clear on oh you need this win, mm-hmm. you got it. Yeah. So. I was going to wonder that I was looking and I was, you know, reading up on you and I was like, which hours do you manage to sleep? Like, what? Well, you know, if, if you choose mm-hmm. to become a parent, yes. you will figure it out. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Um, okay, so the standard kind of like lazy answer that I think too many people say is like, okay. well, what can I do about all sure. this? So to kind of answer that like lazy question, like when people are trying to sort of untangle like racism and the stereotypes related to not just like black mothers but like the adoption situation like what would you tell someone who is saying like well what can I do to help like what would you suggest to say someone who wants to be an ally maybe or doesn't know okay. how alright well number one uh, reach out mm-hmm. and make a friend of color if yeah. you don't have it like a real friend someone you would invite to your home yes someone whose home you would go to mm-hmm. someone you would break bread with yeah. you know you would bring around your family mm-hmm. and your friends so make a, a real friend and I think be willing to have courageous conversations about what's going on in the world because if we shy away from it if we act like everything's okay it doesn't fix anything yeah. it just kind of sugarcoats things yeah. that we ignore what's going on mm-hmm. and I think the other thing especially as more and more white people adopt children of color they have to be very clear on the fact that their white privilege is not going to protect their kids once they're out of their purview. Yeah. And I think alliances 
just parental alliances will go a long way with people understanding that, you know, we love our children just as you love your kids. And we want to be part of those conversations about policy with regard to child care and health care and maternity leave and paternity leave. And we can go a long way to really bridge that gap. So if you really want to help, yeah. teach your kids to take care of our kids. So if your kids are going home and normally they cut through the neighbor's yard and they're goofing off that day, their black friend goes home with them, don't do it. Yeah. So, and be willing to, you know, stand up for your buddy, teach your kids that. That, that's, that last point you touched on is so smart and it's something where, um, you know, you see all this, there's a lot of like memes and pictures of like, multiracial kids all like sitting around it's but it's like it's cheesy but it's true it says something it's like racism is learned it's not like no child is born hating someone because they're black or white or whatever it is it's happens in the household so if you can teach someone at a young age that person's the same as you that's yeah and i think it's okay that someone's different from you yeah, it's respecting their culture so at my kids school they've just started affinity groups and so mm-hmm. it's it's be you we love you whoever you are and then you respect that i am black or this child is has identified as gay or this child has identified as biracial you know whatever yeah. the case may be or they're jewish or they're catholic whatever the situation may be mm-hmm. just respect that and ask questions about yeah, it yeah, you know absolutely. invite me to your bro mitzvah yeah absolutely <laughs> Um, so, did you always want to be a writer? <laughs> yes. Um, when I was five, I used to copy my dad. Um, he would write poetry and I'd pretend to write. Uh-huh. And um, really in junior high was when I was like, yes, this is it. It, it just, it always felt good, but uh, my conservative upbringing was such that mm-hmm. the artists, the arts were not pushed. Yeah. And so, I continued to write. And I, I have some romance that were published like in the 90s mm-hmm. like when I was five yeah. <laughs> I was to say wow you were published yes. so early on in your life yes yes yes, yes. and um, I mean but I'll always write I mean if no one's reading it no one's buying it I, I yeah. always write yeah um, since this book is all about motherhood I can't yeah. not ask you like what's been some of your favorite moments as a mother wow I have like a whole bunch I, yeah I kind of assumed hmm. Wow, that's a really great question. Okay, so one of the best moments ever is the day we brought uh, my son's sister home. Mm -hmm. He was six. Yeah, he was six. And he had baseball practice, and he he was like, I don't want to go to baseball practice. I just want to be with her. And that night when he went to bed, he drew a picture. And I have the picture still. And it was like the yellowest sun ever and like the bluest ocean and the greenest grass and it was so sweet it was just from his heart uh-huh. and so that's definitely one of my like, oh my god I'm time. like getting I'm like terrible I know like, I know I know goosebumps. I had thought about that oh my god yeah that's definitely yeah. one of my um, favorite moments and um, I'm trying to think I think watching them with each other mm. and they are so funny. You know, they fight like because they're siblings. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the other times when they love, love, love each other and just how they support mm-hmm. um, one another. That's amazing. Yes. And my daughter wants to be Beyonce, so well, if yeah. the music turns on, it's, it's on. Every daughter should yes. want she wants to be Beyonce. So that's like the best. Yeah. Yes. I mean, every son should want to be Beyonce, too. I mean, well, but, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, really, yes. She's, she's one of those people where it is like every time she releases a new album, I'm like, well, this one can't possibly be as exactly. good. And then it is, and it's like, oh my god. Yes. yes, yes. 
Um, what is some of the best advice about motherhood you've ever heard or learned kind of as your time as a mom? Um, to put my oxygen mask on first, and I'm still struggling with that. And, okay, one of my really good friends told me years ago that she had fallen out of love with her son when he was eight. Mm. And I was like, really? I thought that was so crazy. But then when my son hit eight, I was like, oh, that's, I get it, I understand. <laughs> so I think that it's okay. I love him. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. But he gets on my nerves. Mm-hmm. And being okay with the fact that I love, love, love my children, mm-hmm. they really get on my nerves. Yeah. And it's okay that they get on my nerves. It's so funny you say this. I'm the youngest of four. Okay. So, first of all, I got away with a lot of stuff. Yes, you did. Because yes. my parents would basically just be like, just be home at the end of the night. <laughs> just make it here. But a lot of, their, my dad and I are uh, we're extremely close and always okay. have been. But he would all the time would tell me, he would take me to a lot of my baseball games, like traveling. And he would look at me if I was kind of being a shithead. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, I love you. Mm-hmm. I do not like you very much mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. it was just like one of those things where like, look, now that I'm an adult, I'd be like, I get it. Yes. I, I was kind of... I wasn't always the best. I yes. get it. Have you apologized to your dad? A million times. Good. Yes. And, Good I, and I will a million more. It's Good. I tell my kids constantly, like, when you grow up, I'm going to trash your car. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just going to... I knew better than to trash the I'm car. I'm going to trash your car. And when you have kids, I'm going to spoil them rotten. You know what is something that my mom would get infuriated by that I totally get now is we would leave stuff in the sink all the time. And she'd be like, Adam? The dishwasher is next to the yes. sink, and I'd be like, "What's the big deal?" And now my wife and I both, if one of us leaves anything in the sink, and I wake up the next morning, I'm like, "What? Are we living in a barn here?" Like yeah. we immediately. Rem- <laughs> of course. It happens every time, and I'm, just, I'm like, I've called her multiple times. I'm like, I get it. Yes. So, or she'll be like, she used to make sure we folded the laundry, yes. and I'd be like, "What's the big deal?" It doesn't hate folding laundry. Every time I'm doing it, I'll call her, and she's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Laundry." Uh-huh. Yeah, I totally get it. I'm sorry, mom. Yeah. So, yes. I feel that. Um, Okay, so towards the end of our podcast, we like to ask nine lighthearted questions. We call them the Nerd Nine. Okay. So a little bit of a left turn from everything we talked sure. about. Sure. So the first one is, um, what's the last book you finished reading? Breathe by Dr. Imani Perry. Mm-hmm. I actually have a tattoo on my hand. Oh, you do? In my mom's handwriting. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? Uh, no. Yeah, I'll read anywhere. Do you remember the first book when you were a kid that kind of made you fall in love with reading? Uh, a Tree Grows in Brooklyn that I never finished, mm-hmm. but I remember trying to read it because my grandfather would sit in his chair and read, mm-hmm. and that was it. I don't, it was yellow, and yeah. maybe I was attracted to the book cover, mm-hmm. and I never ever read that book, but I would pretend to read it, so that was the first that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you could travel to any place in the world that you've not yet been to, mm-hmm. where would you go? That one's a little out of left field, I know. Oh, that's okay. I want to see the glaciers in Alaska. Wow. That's a good one. We haven't had that answer yet. That's good. Uh, are you a coffee person or a tea person? Coffee. I kind of figure yes. both. <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? Dogs. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Any holiday with barbecue. Mm, okay. Yeah, so. absolutely. So it's like a lot of the summer yeah, holidays. Yes. <laughs> um, maybe maybe Labor Day because it's my grandma's birthday. So this is you kind of just letting this one. Do you have a favorite food? Actually, sushi. <laughs> <laughs> I like barbecue because uh-huh. I like pork, but yeah. sushi. Okay. Um, and then if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? I know. I'm sorry. Oh wow. 
We get yelled at for this one all the time. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Um, Alive or dead? So mine, I always tell people, mine's Jim Henson. So oh, yeah. You, I think he's a wonderful person. Yeah. The most frequent answer we get is Michelle Obama. I thought about that. That's an obvious answer. Um, More than Barack, which I enjoy, which makes me happy. Yeah. Let's see. Who would I think? I'm sure it would be a fellow writer. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would sit down and that's a really, really... That's okay. Question. You don't have to answer. It's all right. I'm going to ask you an even tougher question now as our last question. Yes. So you're going to be less happy with me. What do you hope people take away from reading Motherhood So White? I want black mothers to see themselves on the page. I want them to feel honored and validated and see our culture. I mean, it's it's my experience. We're not a monolith and, you know, we all have varied experiences as parents, but I think we have a common sort of baseline. And I want white mothers to see us as shitty moms and fun moms and stress moms and people they would want to sit down and have a glass of Prosecco. <laughs> That's amazing. Nefertiti, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.